Welcome to the QI chat room. I'm your host, Kelly Bond. This podcast is brought to you by Redwood Community Health Coalition, or RCHC for short. We're a network of community health centers and a wellness education site throughout Marin, Napa, Sonoma, and Yolo counties. We formed in 1994 with a mission of improving access to and the quality of care provided for underserved and uninsured people. This podcast is all about quality improvement, or QI, in healthcare. We'll bring you speakers from our member health centers, outside health centers, county and federal agencies, healthcare plans, and more. Those speakers will discuss promising practices they've identified at health centers, the latest data on specific health topics, and engage in conversation with our live audience. We've been hosting these chat rooms since late 2018 and transitioned to the podcast format in the fall of 2019 to reach a greater range of listeners. We hope you'll join us as we share the latest in quality improvement with you. This episode features Bethany Snyder, RCHC's advocacy consultant, and Darlene Rios-Drapkin, a partnership specialist at the U.S. Census Bureau. Our guests will talk about the upcoming 2020 census. April 1st is Census Day. Every 10 years, the U.S. government conducts a census to count every resident in the United States. It's a huge undertaking that greatly impacts the healthcare sector. Census data guides the distribution of more than $115 billion in federal funds to California each year. Redwood Community Health Coalition Health Centers serve over 230,000 patients each year, which amounts to millions of dollars in needed funding over the next 10 years. Our guests will discuss what you need to know about the census, how to reply, and how you and your health centers can ensure your patients, staff, and community get counted. RCHC has added information about the census, including outreach efforts, materials, and a short video explaining the census to our website. To access this information, go to www.rchc.net and click on the census banner located on the home landing page. Here's Bethany to get us started. Hi, thank you so much, Kelly. I'm so excited to be here. I don't know if I've met many of you, but I've been working with RCHC on our advocacy activities and communications over the past year or so. And this is a big year for us and the census. As Kelly mentioned, um, 2020 is the census year. This happens every 10 years where the federal government counts everyone living in the country. Um, it's required by the U.S. Constitution, and the count must include people of all ages, racial and ethnic groups, and all people, regardless of immigration status. And so we want to make sure that health centers understand their role in this and how important they are to this effort. So we were, we're going to talk a little bit today about how health centers can get involved in the resources we have for you. So before I um, turn it over, and I'm going to be asking Darlene some questions and some question answer format, I'm just going to talk about why is the census important to the healthcare sector. And Kelly did touch on this originally, but vital federal programs um, that are critical to supporting the health and well-being of our communities rely on data collected from the census. So this... the federal agencies look at how many people live in these areas so we know how much Medi-Cal 
um, spending, spending will need. Also, um, WIC, the nutrition program for women, infants, and children relies on census data. CalFresh, which is our um, SNAP program, section, section 8 housing vouchers, Head Start and Early Head Start programs, the Children's Health Insurance Program known as CHIP. Those are just a few of the health programs that rely on census dating to um, account for their funding levels. And we know when there's an undercount of folks, that means that has dire consequences for many programs, specifically um, health programs. But the census also helps us determine how many members of Congress we're going to have, how many um, congressional members we will have. And based on that, different states have different political powers and different, um, different communities have different political powers. So like I mentioned, um, I'm so excited to have Darlene here from the U.S. Census Bureau, and she's been working with the San Francisco Bay Area and most recently in Marin County. Thanks so much, Darlene. First, can you tell us a little bit about you and your role and what you do for the census? Yes, thank you. As a partnership specialist, I am basically connecting community-based organizations and local government um, to ensure that we have an accurate count. Um, and that we count everyone once, only once, and in the right place. And so a lot of it, remember, this is the biggest peacetime mobilization effort to occur, the 2020 census, which happens only once every 10 years. So we need to get it right. So it's just pretty much working with uh, every numerous organizations to ensure that um, we are able to uh, get accurate numbers to reflect our community so we can get the right resources into our communities. Well, thanks, Darlene. I'm going to ask you a few questions that we have hear, we've heard a few, um, we hear quite often in the field and that we know that some people are worried about. So some folks are concerned about their information and if it's safe and secure and how it's shared. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's probably the biggest question that I get is about the confidentiality of the responses. Um, and the responses to the 20 census, uh, 2020 census are safe, they're secure, and they are protected by federal law under Title 13. Um, none of the information that is shared on the census is going to be used against you in any way. It's not going to be shared with the landlord. Uh, it's not going to be shared with, with ICE. It's not going to be shared with Homeland Security. Um, the answers are really only needed for statistical purposes. Um, so responding to the census helps communities get the funding that they need, and it helps businesses make data-driven decisions that grow our economy. So, yes, Excellent. the census are safe and secure. They were not going to be used against you in any way, shape, or form. That's great to hear. I know that that's something that our health center staff will need to know when they're talking to folks about this. So can you tell us a little bit, a few ways that people will be asked to respond to the census? We know there's some different new ways that people can respond this year. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, for folks that remember answering in 2010 or 2000 or way back, um, the only way that you could respond was via questionnaire. Um, but we're uh, really excited that this will be the first um, uh, online uh, census where people will be able to respond via the internet, on their phone, on, in the privacy of their home with the internet, or they'll be able to go to a question assistance center to get support for answering the um, survey online. In addition, we're going to be able to have um, the census online available in up to 13 languages for people to pick the, the, those 13 languages that they prefer to answer in. And also there'll be visual guides for 59 languages. So we're really ensuring that everybody is able to answer the questionnaire in their language of, of comfort so that they can answer the nine questions that are on the census. 
to the best of their ability accurately. Oh, that's great to hear. I hope that will um, help increase turnout. So we talked about what if English is not my primary language. So we know that there's many different languages that the census will be provided in. And um, it is true that you can take the census online this year, which is great. Some health centers will have kiosks. Um, I'm not sure if any in RCHC area, I think there may be a couple in the RCHC um, geographic area that will be having kiosks, but can you tell us more about the kiosks and what that, what that is all about, Darlene? Well, I think Bethany, probably one of the most likeliest places for people to respond if they, if they aren't able to do it at home or from their phone, or if they, you know, it, oh, because the other thing is you will be also able to answer on the phone. There will be phone numbers for people to call in their responses if they prefer doing it on the phone, if they prefer doing it in person. I think libraries are the more, most common um, question assistance centers that will be available when in doubt. Uh, but again, people can go on, on the internet online to find um, uh, uh, the locations because it'll be available through the U.S. Census website, us2020census.gov. Uh, and or sold through the different counties that are also supporting the census to ensure that there's all kinds of possibilities to be able to find a mode for folks to respond in. But yes, I don't know the exact locations of all the question assessment centers, but a real safe bet are the libraries, Bethany. Oh, that's great to know. And our community health centers work closely with the libraries, and that's a great resource. So let's talk about some specific populations. So we know that um, there are specific populations or communities you're working to ensure an accurate count. And first, I would like you to take some time to just talk about um, kids. We know that kids were undercounted in the last census. Can you tell us more about that? And how do people count their kids if their kid is in college, if their kid is a tiny baby? How does that work? Well, let me tell you, I mean, I think some of the, 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 the communities that people can expect to probably be hard to count, HTC as we call it in census lingo, Bethany, are uh, folks that have limited language capabilities, um, veterans, seniors, um, people that that um, have a with me mental incapacities, people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, those are just the LGBTQ community. Um, there's several groups that are hard to count that the census is targeting to be able to do additional outreach to ensure that that we send them a positive word about the census and about the importance of them responding to the census. But one uh, uh, group that is actually overlooked and that uh, was, we realized was hard to count in the last census are young children. Um, the estimates show that probably about 4.2% of our young children were undercounted in the last census. And that only came to our realization when we realized in the last 10 years, remember we do this once every 10 years. So this is data that is being used for 10 years. And if we don't get it right, then we're gonna have an undercount and misallocation of resources. And we found that with children, there were a lot more people registering for, um, a lot more children registering for schools than we had originally realized. And that's when we came to the realization that children had been undercounted. Why was this happening? I guess sometimes people forget to count their children, even if they're a newborn. Remember the benchmark date that we're going to be using uh, for the census is April 1st. So uh, that is basically the day we come together for a family portrait. So if your child is born by April 1st, he or she, they will be counted in the census. Uh, but sometimes people forget to count their children. And be, beyond the fact that maybe they don't realize, maybe they can't vote, so maybe they don't realize that they also count and that you need to take the time on your questionnaire to complete and add your child, even if they're just three months old, or whatever age they are. Um, 
You also need to recognize that sometimes children are living in complex households. Maybe they're living with mom some of the time. Maybe they're living with dad another part of the time or with their grandparent. So they sometimes get overlooked and they are not counted. So the census has been making a really, really super effort this time around to make sure that in all of our publicity that is going out, children are included in all the posters and all the publicity, um, reminding um, everyone that children count and that we must include them in the census. And you'll see on the questionnaire several times mentioning to ensure that we don't forget our, our precious children to be counted in the census. Kids in college, I think you asked about mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, kids in college are an interesting one because they are considered to be what's called group quarters. They are actually counted away. If they're living in a dorm away at college, they are counted in their college dorm rooms. Mm -hmm. So there will be a special effort to count all the kids that are away at college. Um, uh, basically, college kids are considered to be in a group quarter, just in the same way that perhaps uh, seniors who are living in assisted living because they live there more than uh, most, um, uh, that's their usual place of, of, of habitation on April 1st. Um, also, like maybe nursing homes, prisons, those are all considered places where now usually are staying. They're not actually not staying at, at a home, they're staying in these living quarters. So then they are counted uh, separately by the U.S. Census. We reach out to the uh, people who are managing the colleges, the nursing homes, the assisted living facilities to ensure that we are counting um, the uh, uh, people who are in these pe people most of the time living there in these facilities. That reminds me, Darlene, how about snowbirds? We know that we have lots of folks um, in California who either only spend part of the year here or spend part of the year somewhere else. How does that work? Yeah, we, I guess we kind of call those couch surfers. And let me tell you, Bethany, this time in the census, we think there's a lot more folks that may be actually not having a typical, the, you know, a usual place of living. Um, they are moving around because we know that we have a housing shortage. That is really another important area for us to really make sure that we get right is the amount of people who are um, moving around a lot. Um, so the, uh, the rule of thumb is going to be where your usual place of where you're at on April 1st, especially if you're moving around a lot. Mm. Um, the other rule of thumb might be where you're spending more than six months of the year. But since we do know that people are couch surfing these days and, move, and people are highly mobile, especially in California with the housing shortage, then if where you're at on April 1st is where we can get you counted, then we genuinely, we encourage the person who is the main person at that household who is doing the count for their household to include um, the snowbird. Um, otherwise, the snowbird can go online themselves and report themselves um, on, online and, um, and register for the census. Um, as long as we have people, people are going to be requested to put in their name and their date of birth. And so um, even though they could perhaps be counted in two places because maybe somebody in a household decides to count them and then that other person decides to count themselves separately, um, the census has a way through some sort of an algorithm to figure out, oh, this person has been counted twice and then they'll need to go back and sort out the record. But the idea is to make sure that um, everybody is counted once and in the right place. But there's going to be times when we get somebody that maybe, and this would be a better problem to have, is that people counted themselves twice. And then mm. the census has a way of sorting that, that itself out that way with the snowbirds and other people who may be moving around a little bit more than usual in this oh. census. That's a great reminder that we'd rather have people count twice than not at all. I think that's something that people get worried about, that there's some kind of punishment that might happen, you know, like pe 
so I think that's a great reminder. We'd rather have you counted twice than not at all. So that's great. I know our staff will get that question. Um, what are some of the other communities that you mentioned these hard to, these hard to count communities? Um, can you mention some of those other ones? We know that they are the patients we serve, like migrant workers, people in congregate housing, like you mentioned, group housing, like people who live in apartment buildings, um, people experiencing homelessness. Yeah, can you tell us more about those hard to count populations and how we can assist the census? Yes, Bethany, and it turns out these are probably the people that need to respond to the census with greater urgency than others because a lot of these programs, like your own clinics, uh, really rely on uh, the funding. Um, every time that a nonprofit organization is writing up a grant, they're being asked census data, and if the census data is inaccurate, when they're, re when they're actually applying for these grants, there's, there's going to be a, gaps to fill if this information is not correct. So yes, a lot of the hard count communities may be in our public school districts to ensure that, we, again, as I mentioned previously about children, um, it's in a lot of our clinics. Um, it's in a lot of the programs uh, for public transportation to ensure that maybe an area mm. has grown in population and we need, we need to add a bus stop and mm. maybe add more public transportation or perhaps add more roads, although it, it, that isn't always another option. Um, but in Marin County, we know, for example, that it's probably around the canal zone. Um, it's probably a w around West County in Marin City that a lot of our hard-to-count uh, hard uh, populations reside. And um, the uh, census keeps an idea, uh, a, a map where they're acknowledging whether an address, not the person um, and their name, has responded to the census. They're looking to make sure that addresses have responded mm. to the census. And so we're going to be keeping a close eye um, starting in, um, in after April to look at communities that may not have responded to the census. Um, the idea is that people will be invited to respond by receiving an invitation to respond around March 12th. Yep. Then they're going to get a, in the mail a follow-up reminder. Then if they have not responded yet, then they'll start getting another two reminders. Uh, then um, everybody's somewhat familiar with the, 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 uh, the uh, stereotypical census taker. That person will not emerge till probably in May to go to the census tracts where people have not responded yet to the, the census because it is everyone's civic responsibility to respond to the census but um, really no penalties are implemented if people do not respond. We just really want to encourage everybody to recognize the importance of the census. It really is important that everybody responds so that we get accurate numbers and California um, gets all of the resources that it needs to serve all of its population, including its undocumented population, because they do have a footprint in this country and we need to make sure that everybody's counted so we have all the, the resources to, to fulfill all of the needs of our communities. That is such great information. Thank you for laying out that timeline. I want to quickly review just how can health centers get involved in this effort. First of all, I'd like to encourage um, all of our health center and health center staff to look at RCHC's webpage, rchc.net. You can click on the census banner right at the top or under advocacy, you can see the census page. And we have a curated website just for our counties and our health um, center members that has materials, um, talking points, et cetera, that you can find useful. The census um, website is phenomenal, and even in the California census website, but it's very broad in general. So I've tried to really take the things that I think you can use um, 
and put that on that page. So here are some of the things that you can do. Um, first is to connect with the census committee in your county or region. And again, you can find those contacts information on our webpage. Um, they have, some of them have, out, some of them are more sophisticated than others, but some have outreach committees, some have just a census committee, and just connect with them and see what's going on. Um, you can host a staff training to ensure your staff is prepared to answer um, census questions. Have them listen to this podcast. Um, and we will also be having a census training for health center staff and outreach staff on March 9th. Once we get those um, details hammered out, you'll find those on our census webpage. Post, the easiest thing you can do is post flyers and information in your health center, centers. For example, in waiting areas, restrooms, exam rooms. Um, there are great resources on our page for specific communities you may serve. So there are um, outreach materials and flyers and posters in various languages geared at specific populations. If you, if you host an LGBTQ clinic or see many LGBTQ patients, there's one specifically for that um, demographic. There's also outreach materials for migrant workers or folks of various ethnic and racial communities. So I really encourage you to take a look, look at those. There are, there are also some great materials materials um, geared towards children and families. And I would also encourage you to connect with the first five in your community. They are leading a lot of the efforts around the children's um, outreach. So if there's a first five active in your community, they are most likely active in this effort. Another thing you can do is hand out a postcard when, parent, when your patients check out. That's very easy. If you're outreach and enrollment staff, or if you are going to different community events, take some flyers along. Um, and share that information with folks in your community. Um, and then last, share information on your social channels. Maybe your health center has a web page or a web page or a Facebook page or even a newsletter. We have lots of different information that you can share um, through those various social channels. So really easy ways for you to contribute to this effort. And our goal is to really be that surround sound effect so that our patients, they're not just gonna be hearing from us, they're gonna be hearing from various members in the community. And hopefully that will contribute to a strong um, census count. I wanted to add that it's really great that the state of California has invested about $200 million into this census to ensure that a lot of our organizations have received grants in order to help with our hard account community. Um, because we need to understand that $115 billion in federal funds are at stake every year that um, we need for a lot of the programs in California. So a lot of this information of this uh, funding is driven by the data, and we really need this data to be accurate. So we're glad that the state of California is working with us diligently um, as partners to ensure that we count California. That's great, Darlene. I'm just gonna quickly review that census timeline again that you went through, and then we're gonna take some questions for our attendees. Um, so again, the census timeline is between March 12th and March 20th, households will begin receiving official Census Bureau mail with detailed information on how to respond to the census online, by phone, or by mail. March 30th through April 1st, the Census um, Bureau will count people who are experiencing homelessness over these three days. So you may see activity in your community around those three days. On April 1st, as we, as we mentioned, is Census Day is observed nationwide. By this date, every home will have received an invitation to participate in the census. And during April, census takers will be visiting college students who live on campus and people living in senior centers and other who live in, um, among large groups of people. Then again, in May through July is when we'll see these traditional census takers um, 
visiting homes that haven't responded to the 2020 census. And then by December, the Census Bureau is required to um, deliver the apportionment counts to the president and Congress. So that's really what's going to take us through 2020. We hope that your health center will want to be involved in this effort. Um, just so you know, RCHC will be um, sending some outreach materials to all of our health centers. So we'll be getting those in March for you to put up, but also many counties have materials that are county specific that you can um, utilize as well. You know, I'm gonna take the time while you're waiting to see Bethany, um, mm -hmm. if we get some questions uh, about really the importance of counting our undocumented community. Mm, yes. Um, I believe that they're very distrustful of government are as may be many people these days. And we really need to remind our Latino community that if they're here in this country and they're raising children and they're working and they're actually paying into the system that they deserve to be counted. Um, one of the phrases that I use when I go out and give Spanish um, uh, presentations is aquí estamos y no nos vamos. We're here and we're not leaving. We're here and we're staying. Aquí estamos y nos quedamos and they count. Así que cuéntense. I'm really reminding them that it behooves them to respond to the census and that and that reminder that their information is safe, that it's not going to be shared. And especially if they have a lot of people living together, uh, living in their garages, really bundling up in the homes, that it's really important for them to respond um, because um, that is going to make a difference. Um, it was really interesting yesterday with a group. In fact, typically we're concerned about an undercount, right? I had one person, I think we, they said, oh, maybe I should add more people to my household. And I said, no, don't do that. But we really urge them to make sure we they're, that they're truthful in their uh, count that they that they bring out to make sure that we we get accurate information on their on their on their um, response because we uh, like we you mentioned the census takers will be coming out probably in May and the earlier that people respond to the census then there will be no need to follow up coming to the to the to the doors to um, encourage the response from 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 people in our community to respond to the census. At this point, we had a question come in from a health center on the call. The health center hopes to help patients complete the census survey and was wondering how long it takes to complete. Here's Darlene with the answer. Yeah, um, regarding how long it takes to complete the survey, it really should only take about 10 minutes, but because there's really only nine questions, but it really depends on how many people are in your household. Um, it's asking your age, um, whether you rent or own, um, then it's going on to ask about ethnicity. Um, so if people are going to question assistance centers, they should be able to get someone that will assist them to respond to the census and help them with all the additional members of the household. Once it's asked about the ethnicity of, of the first three or four um, members of the household, it probably gets a little bit easier because they don't ask the same repetitive questions anymore. But again, it really de depends on how long, on how many members are in the household. Regarding the question assistance centers, I think your best bet um, would be to go online, but I also encourage you to check in with the, um, with the Canal Alliance uh, run by Stephanie McNally because she is really, they are the complete count committee and they are working to ensure that Marin County has the right number of question assistance centers and to provide support um, community outreach workers um, to come out and assist in these centers for people to complete the census. And they'll also reach out to the census to provide a sworn in employee to be present to assist with completing censuses, um, the census as needed. 
We had one other question come in asking where one would go to find assistance center information specific to their county. Yolo, Napa, and Marin counties all have very active complete count committees and have led well-organized census efforts. Some are even printing and sending materials. RCHC is working with Sonoma County to make connections and find good resources to share with health centers. As RCHC collects additional resources and information, we will add these to our RCHC Census webpage. I'll put the link in the show notes. A big thank you to today's presenter, participants, and our listeners. I'm your host, Kelly Bond, and we'll see you next time in the QI chat room. Thank you.